Hello, and welcome to the Drunk Theology Podcast. This is your host, the Reverend C.H. Brown, known to my friends as Chaz. And I'm so glad that you've tuned in today for the next challenge of the gospel. Uh, If you have not already, please check out the YouTube channel by the same name, Drunk Theology. And just watch the different videos. I have a special guest coming on tomorrow uh, that you will want to hear. And uh, you're going to enjoy listening to some of his insights to some of the uh, current events that our nation is going through with the stay-at-home orders and the COVID-19. Anyway, I want to once again thank you. And remember, when you're there at the YouTube channel, uh, click on the description box, take a visit at our Patreon page, and any donations is not too small, is greatly appreciated. And let's go on with the, uh, with the next challenge of the gospel. So, we are continuing with the Beatitudes. In fact, we're going to be finishing up the Beatitudes today. But uh, we're going to be taking it at verse 9. And remember that all of these are characteristics. There are eight of them altogether, Beatitudes. But the first seven uh, are the characteristics of a person that is blessed, a person that is walking uh, in the Beatitudes, a person that is happy. Uh, with their relationship with God and with man. And so that is really ultimately what we are, we are looking. We're not looking for happiness every moment of every day, but we know that we can be satisfied and content uh, in this life. And these are the characteristics. The first seven are the characteristics, and we're going to get into what the eighth beatitude is and what it means. So let's begin the reading in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus speaking says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, that's, a, that's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? What does it mean to be pure in heart? You know, I, that conjures up all sorts of, like, religiosity, to me at least, in my experience. To be pure in heart you know, it's like uh, something that is absolutely pure, like pure heroin, pure cocaine, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, there's also other things that are good, that are pure. But what is it to be pure in heart? What does that mean, to be pure? To be, see, when we think about it, like I said, you know, I, I think about it, Purity in either a religiosity standpoint, where I'm perfect, uh, that I uh, attend service every time the doors are open, I, I pray and fast uh, every day, uh, you know, I, 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 I give my alms to the poor, I, I give my tithes, I, you know, I mean, all these different religious actions, and, 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 and I do it with a joyful heart. You know, so we're, we're covering the bases there, and we're saying, okay, so what is pure in heart? And that really misses the mark. First of all, we know that we can't live perfectly, so that misses the mark. But also the idea that purity here has that kind of connotation. Now, it's interesting, he says, those who are pure in heart, they are blessed, they are happy, because they shall see God. So Jesus is kind of uh, reinforcing a concept here 
that Moses, uh, that God gave to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, when Moses said, hey, look, I want to see your face. And God says to him in verse 20, he says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. So Jesus is kind of giving the positive uh, notion of that, saying, but blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, because there, there was an, an Old Testament concept of the fact that you could not see God and live because of God's holiness. But it wasn't so much of God's holiness in, in, in one aspect as much as in our imperfection before him that we would find ourselves not worthy of life. And, and yet there were the saints of old in the Old Testament that dared to. You know, the fact that Moses had the, the cojones to ask God to see his face. But also we find like Job in chapter 19, verse 26, he says, After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another my heart yearns within me for that day. So that there was a hope that he was going to get through this tragedy that he was going undergoing in this life, and that in his flesh he would get to see God face to face. How, how could he see God face to face? Then we have uh, Isaiah. Look at him in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. I mean, he's having a vision, but, you know, it's also a possibility that he was caught up in the third heavens. We don't, we don't know for sure, but one thing we do know is what he says. In verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes, and the language is very physical, it's very real, it's not... It's not just a dream sequence is for my eyes have seen the king Yahweh of host so he's like hey I'm a dead man I just saw God you know what he got away with it because he didn't die so what's going on here what is it you know because here we have this clear statement by God no man can see me and live and then Jesus gives this reinforcement of that same concept, but with a positive spin. But, but blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure heart, for they shall see God. Well, when we look in this Old Testament, when we study it out, we find that there were a number of men that walked with God and saw him. Genesis chapter 5, verse 24 says, And Enoch walked with God. And he was not, for God took him. I mean, Enoch had such a relationship with God that he literally walked with him on a regular basis. And on one of those times when he was literally walking, not just, you know, saying that he walks with God, you know, like, 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 uh, like a Christian walks with God. No, he walked physically with God. And then one day God took him. So that we know that Enoch never died. But what's amazing is this is that Enoch actually walked with him. He walked with him physically. You know, I love the story. I remember, I think it was R.W. Schombach. I love the way he illustrated it. He said, yeah, you know, one day, 
Enoch was walking with God, and God said, hey, Enoch, you know, my house is right here. Why don't you just come on in? <laughs> you know, I, I love that uh, country fried flavor he put to it. You know, I mean, just uh, he walked with him. We also find, uh, you know, that it says that Noah walked with God. Because it says in Genesis 6, 9, uh, that Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. He wasn't perfect. We know that Noah wasn't perfect. You know, he was just perfect in his generation. But hey, we know that, uh, that, that he had his flaws. He had his problems. You know, uh, we have Genesis chapter 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, Yahweh appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I mean, he appeared before him. He was able to see him, and, 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 and Abram had many encounters like this with God. You know, unless you want to say that, you know, he was dating peyote or something, I don't know. I don't believe that to be the case, but who knows? I, I know that he was a man of intense prayer and meditation. But we also find that in Genesis 48, it says, And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. That God walked with them, with Abraham and Isaac. Psalm 27, verse 4 says this, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It says, you know, I'm going to seek God because I want to be with him all the days of my life. But this is what, so you say, so how, how do we do that? These men must have been like holy and perfect. No way. We know Abraham wasn't perfect. He had a tendency to get afraid for his life and lie about uh, his wife being his sister. We know that we, we know that, uh, that that Jacob wasn't perfect. He was one of the ones that 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 walked with God. I mean, Jacob was a conniver. I mean, he was a deceiver. He was deceptive. He was a rascal, to say the least. But it goes back to the first teaching about the about love that we had here in an earlier podcast. That the love of God. Or agape, that that perfect love is love that operates because it does the right thing for the right motive. Well, Jacob did the right thing for the wrong. Well, you know, did the wrong thing. Jacob did the wrong things for the right motive, and we're going to see that in a moment. That what matters is what is your motive. You may blow it because these men all blew it. Abraham blew it. Uh, Isaac blew it, Jacob blew it, Noah blew it. I mean, the only one we don't have any information on is Enoch. And I'm sure he was no different than Moses, and we know Moses blew it. There is no perfection among men. There is no one that was that pure. So what does pure in heart mean? I think we get a glimpse of it, the Old Testament meaning of pure in heart is found in Isaiah 38 when Hezekiah has been given a death sentence the Lord has gone to him through the prophet Isaiah to say you know it's time for you to come home I know that you're in the prime of your life but you know what I'm gonna take you home 
And Isaiah turns to the wall and begins to cry, and he begins to pray. And as he begins to pray, he says, O Lord, remember now, O Yahweh, I pray, how I walk before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And then God taps Isaiah as he's walking out of his back to go home and says, Go back and tell Hezekiah I'll give him 15 more years because he's prayed. And he's reminded me, as it were, and I'm going to give him 15 more years. And so he does this. And it's because he has a loyal heart. You see, the, to be pure in heart is to be loyal. Yes, you are not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Let's look at one other man, King David. The scripture proclaims it boldly, a man after God's own heart. We talk about someone who was pure in heart, it was David, but yet we know that he had a propensity for women. He wound up having an adulterous affair with one. And then he winds up conspiring to murder her husband because she's pregnant and it's not by her husband. So we find that 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 David, you know, according to some uh, Christian psychiatrists and psychologists, in their view of David, they said that he wasn't even a very good father. I don't quite understand how they totally reached that. But you know what? Let's face it. No one's a perfect father. And he certainly had his flaws and had his character issues and had some sin issues. But yet he was a man after God's own heart. And it was because of that word loyal. That's what being pure in heart is. It's being loyal to God. Yeah, you're going to blow it. You're going to make mistakes. You are going to sin because we are sinners that are saved by grace. But you are loyal. You're loyal to the way of God. That's why David was, was, was a man after God's own heart. Because when he was given an opportunity to take on a different way of fighting Goliath, he said, no, I'm going to go out there the way God has always done things with me. I'm going to trust that he is the one. And when he, and when he, and when he faced Goliath, he didn't say, hey, you've defied me, you've defied my family. He didn't even say, you've defied the king of Israel. He said, you've defied the armies of the living God. This is God's army, and I'm here to do business for God. His loyalty was towards the Lord and giving glory to God. And that is what a person is pure in heart because, yeah, they, you may blow it along the way. In fact, you're going to. Let's be honest. You're, you're, but you're striving. The other part is that loyalty part, that part that loves God, that's saying, I'm striving to live for him. I'm doing good because I know it's the right thing to do. I'm going to love and care for people. I'm going to love God and his word. I'm going to do those things out of my love for him. And I'm going to pursue 
being meek. I'm going to pursue being, you know, righteousness. I'm going to pursue God. I'm going to 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 chase after Him with everything that I am and everything that I I can be. I'm going to go ahead and try to live out and develop the characteristics of the beatitudes of being poor in spirit, of being someone who mourns not only my sin but the sins of others. Someone who is meek before the Lord, realizing, you know what, God, uh, you know, in my own strength I can do nothing, but I'm following after you and being merciful. You're having those characteristics developed in your life. And you're saying, I'm going to follow hard after him. Yeah, you may blow it along the way, and you, in fact, will. All of us do. But you have a heart that's chasing after God. A heart that is after God's heart. That you want to glorify him. Jesus says, blessed are those people they are blessed because they shall see God. You will see the Lord. You will see him face to face. I love that. That that, that promise is given to us. And who knows, you may even get to be like Paul and have a vision and actually see the throne. For Paul saw things that he was not even allowed to speak of. And yet he did it all in his flesh. Let's go on to the next beatitude. It said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Wow, that is so cool. Because what it's really talking about is you not going around trying to make peace for everybody, not going around trying to squelch arguments and doing that, although that's part of being a peacemaker. That's part of that mindset. But it's talking about something very specific. In fact, I love the way uh, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown, I love the, uh, that commentary and, and uh, for, in certain applications, obviously. I mean, every every commentator has some great things, but I love... What they, what they said that the, the translation of, of peacemaker is, it's a peace diffuser, that you are diffusing and giving out peace to people. That makes sense, because that's what God is. Because, and the reason that it makes sense to me is because I look at it because what Jesus says about the peacemakers, he says, they shall be called the sons of God. And if, we, and if you understand the Old Testament concept of sonship, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, with the fact that they were made in the image of God, or literally the imagers of God, and to be an imager and to come out of that family and to continue the imaging wasn't the physical, but it was the purpose of God, the plan of God that God had purpose and plan and that we as his image, his imagers would go out and fulfill his plan, fulfill the plan that God had from the beginning. And they were called sons of God. And I'm not going to get into that um, much more because I can really, we can go on and do a whole podcast on that and who are the sons of God <laughs> because it's not only the humans. And uh, so it's, it's very interesting uh, when you get into that, into the other realm. 
But the thing is, is, is that as imagers, we fulfill his purpose. And so as Jesus says, the ones that diffuse peace, the peacemakers, the ones that spread this peace, will be called the sons of God. Say, so what is that peace? Well, I love it in Exodus 34. It says, Yahweh, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. That's who God is. He's abounding in patience and long-suffering and mercy and grace and the forgiveness of sin has always been that, has always been that. That's why Christianity is just an extension of Judaism. Yes, it's a new covenant, but it's based on the old covenant. It could, the new covenant couldn't come without the old covenant being fulfilled. It had to be fulfilled to bring about the new covenant. It's the extension of it. Hebrews 13, 20 says this, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So that we are taking this, this, this image of God, of being loving and gracious and merciful, abounding in goodness and truth and mercy for thousands and forgiving sins and transgressions and iniquities. We are taking that and providing people with peace, knowing that they can have that forgiveness, knowing that they can have that through the blood of Jesus Christ. That we can't do it in and of ourselves, but it's through the everlasting covenant that has been established through the blood of Christ. And so we get to diffuse that. But you see, you can't diffuse that or give that out unless you received it yourself. That's what, And when you do, you, you want others to hear. You want others to know. You don't care if they've been your, your enemy all, their, all your life. You want them to know this. So I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Paul talking about his ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. He says, the ministry of reconciliation, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We have been given the word of reconciliation. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus and received him in your heart, you have received the word of reconciliation. You've been reconciled. You've been put back together with God. So he says then, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. See, we are ambassadors. We're representatives. We are images of God. We're images of Christ. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, as the pure in heart, we have been imputed with righteousness. Blessed is the man whom God does not impute sin, but he imputes righteousness to you. He gives you righteousness 
by our faith in Christ Jesus. And we, because we received it, we can't help but want to go out and tell others. We can't help but want to go and somehow participate in some ministry in some way that is out there proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether we participate in it physically, whether we participate in it monetarily, giving our finances, giving our time, but we want to be part of it. Why? Because we want to be a diffuser of peace. We want to be someone who is a peacemaker. So, we have the eight or the seven characteristics of the Beatitudes, but then the, the final Beatitude is this. It said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting that Jesus talks about this blessedness, this happiness that can be ours if we realize that we are poor in spirit, that we need God, that we realize that what we've done is mournful and, we are, and, and that we repent before him, that we realize our, 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 our lack of ability, our meekness, but yet we pursue after his righteousness. We pursue God. We chase after God. And because of that, we're merciful. And he gives the assurance, if, you, if you're that, you're pure in heart. You have a heart for God. You're going to see him. And you're going to be a peacemaker. But then there's this, this interesting caveat at the end of this. Said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, you cannot walk in this blessedness, this happiness, without it having consequences. The consequences are that there are not there are going to be people that don't agree with you. There are going to be people who will be contentious with you. There will be even people who will persecute you only because you are a believer, because you are a Christian, and they will harass you for it. They will come against you just because you are living out your faith. Have you ever noticed that Christians who just say they're Christians but don't live out their faith, that they're, they're not looking to have the Beatitudes be a part of their walk with God and they're not pursuing after God? They don't get persecuted. They don't get, ha- they don't get hassled. And I'm not talking about the overzealous brother or sister who's witnessing to everybody in the job all the time. I'm not talking about that. That, you know, that in and of itself, that's not persecution. That's your boss telling you, do your job. You know, stop, uh, you know, uh, lollygagging and, and, and yapping and get, to do, and get busy and get to work. That's not persecution. I'm talking about you're just living a silent witness and somehow they harass you. I remember years and years ago when I was a young believer and I was studying for the ministry. And, uh, you know, I worked full time, had family support. And I remember, uh, you know, I, 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 
I, I, I was working in an office and, and I just, for some reason, I got transferred to this office and for some reason while I was there, I just felt inclined not to really, not to really share the faith. There was something about it that just, just seemed like, you know, this isn't a good idea here. And where at the other office I did. And what wound up happening was that, you know, I started taking my lunch hour because I was getting a lot of homework and, and taking take my lunch hour and studying. And someone I could tell went through my books. Someone in the office had. And then uh, after a couple of weeks, they started harassing me. They started trying to push my buttons. They started trying to, to intentionally. And finally it came about, after about four or five months of this, that, that they wound up going to a, 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 a Christian event where there was music, a concert, I believe, and, and they wound up getting saved, <laughs> him and his wife both. And they came and they apologized to me, said, man, you know, we were doing this to you and doing that to you. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of saw something was up. But I just figured, you know, God will help you. And he has. And they said, yes, he has. It's interesting that, that you see, you, you may go through persecution, and you don't necessarily have to be this verbal, vocal witness. You just have to live it before him. And he begins to shine through you. And people begin to feel that peace and decide, I want that. I want that. And because of that, you're blessed. You're happy because you know, yeah, I'm going through some horrible stuff right now through this persecution, but you know what? It's okay. God's in control. And my life is in his hand. And even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. Because he's a God that loves me. Anyway, so that's that's it for this challenge of the gospel. In our next uh, our, our next episode, we're going to be covering some other materials, some other challenges. Because that challenge of saying live the beatitudes, knowing that you're going to be persecuted, that begins to open up a door of other challenges. That is just the beginning. The challenge is live these beatitudes and yes, you will be persecuted. But it's okay. I've overcome the world and I'm with you every step of the way. God bless you and we'll uh, be ready for you next week. Shalom.